Well, good morning, everyone. I stand amazed in the presence. Are you still amazed that he should choose us, choose me? Incredible, isn't it? I don't think the worship team could have chosen a better song for what God's laid on my heart this morning because it concerns his presence, the fact that he wants to come and be in our midst. Not in some kind of theoretical way, but he really wants to meet with us when we come together. Well, we often speak of Redeemer Church as a family or a community of believers, which is rightly an important aspect of church. But we need to understand that God's intention is that as church we'll be far more than that. In Ephesians 3, verse 10, Paul speaks of how the church is an aspect of the manifold, that's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? The multifaceted would be a better word, perhaps. The multifaceted wisdom of God. God's design for church is an aspect of his wisdom. And there's no single descriptive picture that does justice, that adequately um, gives us full understanding of what God intends for his church to be. I've found at least 18 analogies or pictures of church in the scriptures, all of which give us a partial understanding of church. But it's not until we start bringing those together that we begin to truly grasp, I would suggest, the wonder and the wisdom of God in his design for Christ's church. Two or three weeks ago, we were blessed with Tom Skipper from Norwich, who spoke to us on one analogy of church. It's like a physical building whose chief architect is God himself. And the imagery of church as the temple or house of God is the one which probably occurs in the scriptures the most. The first reference to it you'll find right back in Genesis chapter 28. It was the occasion when Jacob woke up from his famous dream of the stairway from earth to heaven. He awoke to a new awareness of God's presence. And verse 16 of Genesis 28 says, he thought to himself, do you ever have thoughts to yourself? Well, he thought to himself, surely the Lord's in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He hadn't previously recognized God's presence. And I would suggest to you, like J Jacob, we can believe in God, but not always be awake, as it were, to his presence. Jacob didn't, you see, just wake up physically. He awoke spiritually to an awareness that God was with him. And he exclaimed, recorded in verse 17, how awesome is this place? He could have sung, couldn't he? Wow, I stand amazed in the presence of the Lord. He said, how awesome is this place? This is no other than the house of God. This is a gateway of heaven. To Jacob, that place was the house of God, not because there was any physical building, not because he had a worship team or anything like that, but because of the tangible felt presence of God. 
which he also recognised provided a gateway to heaven, an open connection with heaven. And in that verse we have the foreshadowing of two pictures of God's design for Christ's church. God's house on the earth and also a gateway between earth and heaven for the blessings of God, including our salvation that was celebrated in communion. But my focus today is on church as God's house, which of course was further foreshadowed in the Old Testament in both the tabernacle at the time of Moses and also in the temple of Jerusalem. But Paul says, moving over into the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now, let's be very clear. Paul is not speaking, as he does in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, of the wonder that a Christian's physical body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to take anything away from that, but on this occasion, Paul is explaining another dimension. That is, that a congregation of Christian believers collectively become the temple of the Holy Spirit. The word in the Greek language in the original text of 1 Corinthians 3.16 is a plural word. Paul says that when we come together collectively, we are God's temple or God's house. Man's perception is that gods of whatever religion generally live in a temple. If you travel to places like let's say Thailand or Cambodia, you'll find many exotic man-made temples. But the temple of our one true God is not built with wood or even with stone or gold, but from people. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, that when Christian believers come together to meet with Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but more importantly, chosen by God and precious to him. We, the born-again believers, are like living stones who are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, these verses point to two pictures of church the house of God and God's royal priesthood. But for today, I'm going to concentrate on a particular aspect of church as the house of God. I wonder, and I might show my age now, did you ever watch the TV programme Through the Keyhole? A TV host would take you on a tour around a famous person's house and a panel, plus of course the TV viewers, had to seek to ascertain from signs about the house, such as the furnishings, the pictures, and maybe the music collection, who owned the house and who lived there. The owner wasn't at home because that would just make it too easy. For the presence of the one who owns and occupies a house is what invariably brings a house to life. Their presence makes all the difference. Peter tells us that when we as Christian believers come together to worship the Lord, we are God's house. 
The house is not the building we meet in. We are the house. We are the stones made alive by the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul says, once you were dead in your trespasses, but now you're alive. Hallelujah. We are living stones from which the house is being built. Joined together through a common faith in Christ, through a commitment to one another, and a commitment to Christ's mission. And I want to suggest to you, it should be evident that we are God's house, especially to visitors who come amongst us. There should be more than clues, there should be clear signs that we collectively are God's house, including signs that are spoken of in Scripture, such as how we love one another, how our children praise the Lord, as well as times when the Lord manifests his presence. Now, to manifest means that God's presence becomes evident to our physical senses in some way or other, in a tangible way. The Bible teaches us that God, who is spirit, and thus generally invisible, is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere present. And yet, the Bible is full of accounts of when God manifested his presence in different ways, at different times, in different places. Just as a train needs two parallel rails to stay on track, in a similar way, these two aspects of God's presence are important to us as believers. Understanding, for example, that God is omnipresent gives us that assurance that even when we don't feel like he's with us, he's with us. He's with us everywhere. But on the occasions when he does manifest his presence, people experience a significant impact on their lives. And it's not just believers, for even the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, was impacted when he encountered the Lord as the fourth man in the fiery furnace, you might remember back in the book of Daniel. Let me just give you, if I may, a few examples, and there are many more, of how God at various times has shown his presence in tangible ways, in a fire to Moses in the burning bush and to the Israelite nation when he came down on Mount Sinai. As the writer of the book of Hebrews says, our God is to be worshipped with reverence and awe for he is a consuming fire. In a cloud, such as in Exodus 40, when the cloud of God's presence covered God's house, the tabernacle, which was filled with God's glory to such an extent that Moses was unable to even enter into the tabernacle because it was filled with God's glory. Highly respected retired pastor Jack Hayford of the Four Square Gospel Church, Church on the Way, tells in one of his books, one of his many books, how in the early years of his ministry, one Saturday evening, he slipped into the worship area of his church building to pray for the next day's services. And before him was a haze-like cloud filling the whole sanctuary. And the Holy Spirit whispered to him, Jack, it is what you think it is. He stood in the presence of the amazing God. And on other occasions, the Lord has actually manifested his presence in person. What about to Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army outside the city of Jericho? 
as the fourth man, as I've already mentioned, in the fiery furnace to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to Daniel, when he was just simply walking by the river Tigris, when the Lord appeared to him, not just as any ordinary man, but as a man with a body like chrysolite, like, with legs like burnished bronze, and eyes like flaming torches, we're told. And in the New Testament, we have the example, for example, that the Lord appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus in a bright light. In fact, Acts 26 says the light was brighter than the noonday sun in Israel. That's a bright light, I tell you, if you've ever been to Israel. When God manifests in a tangible way, then his presence becomes evident to people through one or more of our physical senses. You may, for example, feel him literally touch you with healing. You may see a vision. You may hear heaven's worship. When God, in the person of his Holy Spirit, manifests when he makes us aware of his presence in some tangible way, then lives are invariably touched in powerful ways. That was true in the Old Testament. It was true in the New Testament. And it's been true throughout subsequent church history. Let me, for example, when the Ark of God's presence was placed in Obed-Edom's house for three months, the result was that his whole household and everything that he had, we're told, was blessed because of the presence of God, symbolized by the ark, which was in his house. When the Philistines, and I like this one, captured the ark of God in 1 Samuel 5, and they put it in the house of a heathen god in the temple of Dagon at Ashdod, the statue of Dagon miraculously, or should we say mysteriously, I don't know which, but both, fell down and did not break, and they found it the next morning flat on its face, whoa, in a worship posture, worshipping the true God. I just love that. It was flat on its face before the ark of God's presence. The next day, they, they, they put it up, and the next day, it was flat again, this time, head decapitated, hands off. Those happenings, those kind of things, but those happenings in that temple of a false god were because the presence of the one and only true God was in the house. And the scriptures record how fear came upon the priests of Dagon and the Lord's hand, it says, actually was heavy upon the whole city. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine that something dramatic would happen here on a Sunday morning that actually could affect the whole of Colchester? That's, that's what we're talking about. It was just as is recorded in the history books when whole communities were gripped by the tangible presence of the Lord when God visited the Hebrides Islands from 1949 through to 1952. What about the dedication of God's temple built by King Solomon? The priests were unable to carry out their responsibilities because they were completely overwhelmed by the tangible presence of God as the temple was filled with the cloud and the glory of the Lord's presence. It would be like being here on a Sunday morning, and I've experienced this, when the worship team are just so overwhelmed they just can't carry on, they just can't get it together, as it were. Because of the tangible, the heaviness, the presence of God in the house. And of course, and importantly, 
as recorded in the New Testament, and this eclipses every other example I've given you in the New Testament, God manifested his presence uniquely in the man Jesus. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Colossians 1.19 says, It pleased the Father to have all of the fullness of God dwell in Jesus. And if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. It pleased the Father to have all his fullness dwell in him. And wherever Jesus was present, there were miracles and lives were touched powerfully because, as Dr. Luke says, recorded in Acts 10.38, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him and anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And so, against that backdrop, which I hope is helpful, let us look together this morning at a specific example of the impact of the presence of the man Jesus in the words of Mark 2, verse 1, in the New King James Version, it says, when he was in the house. And as we read it, think about it, we are the house, collectively. Amen? Let's read from Acts, sorry, from Mark chapter 2, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And again, he, Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Get a hold of that. If you don't remember anything else this morning, it's the difference that makes that when he is in the house. And immediately many gathered together so that, he, so that there was no longer any room to receive them, not even near the door. Oh, Lord, do it again. Do it again. So there's not room for any more to get in this place. It's a good problem to have. Pray, for, pray, give the leaders a problem. <laughs> We've got to look for another venue because <laughs> the place is full. You know what I'm saying. Then they came to him, verse 3, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. <laughs> I mean, they were serious. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. It wasn't a four-poster bed, okay, it was a, it was a mat. Um, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your home. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and he went out in the presence of them all. And they were so amazed, they glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I mean, that's the makings of a song, isn't it? We've never seen anything like this before. Amen? Oh. Now, notice from verse 1 that news got around the town that Jesus was 
in the house. The New American Standard Bible says, when he had come back to Capernaum, it was heard that he was at home. But listen, he wasn't at home because as commentators tell us, this wasn't Jesus' home, this was Simon Peter's home. But importantly, Jesus was made at home there. He felt at home there. And I would like to suggest to you that as well as doing all we can to make visitors and new people feel welcome and at home with us, we should do all we can to ensure that the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, also feels at home in this house, in our midst. For as the Amplified Version puts it, when Jesus is in the house, rumours will get around the town and area. Hallelujah. And so, let's identify together, it's quite simple, the results of Jesus being present in the house from this passage of Scripture. The house where he was made welcome. The house where he felt at home and which he returned to regularly. For I believe if we seek to make the Spirit of Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit, welcome in our midst, in this house of living stones, then because Jesus is the same today as he was then, we can expect and believe to experience similar things when he manifests his presence. And so what are the results of the Lord's presence in the house? Verses 1 and 2. First of all, many people came to hear and to see. Notice there was no more room in the house. They didn't come to be entertained. Friends, they came to hear the voice of Jesus. In fact, I dare to suggest to you Despite the crowd, they also came in the hope to see Jesus and to see Jesus do something significant in their midst. And I'm sure, like me, you want people to come to this house to hear the voice, not to hear Al, not to hear me, not to hear him, but through us to hear the voice of Jesus. You, we want the Holy Spirit, do we not, to open the eyes of, of hearts to see Jesus in our midst. We want people to come and taste and see the evidence of God's presence in our midst because they're going to discover, to pick up on Morris's preached last Sunday, that the Lord is good. In fact, he's very good. He's amazingly good. Secondly, when Jesus was present in the house, there was anointed preaching. Verse 2. Jesus preached the word to the people. They, they didn't go there to be entertained. They, they were attentive, and because it was anointed, God penetrated their hearts. When the Spirit of Jesus is truly present, friends, there's always anointed preaching and teaching that grips your attention, that grips, that penetrates hearts. It works at a deeper level than just feeding your mind. Thirdly, Jesus' presence resulted in sick people coming to the house expectant of receiving a miracle. Now, there, were, there may well have been other sick people present then. I, I suspect there would have been because word had got around that Jesus did that kind of thing. But verse 3 tells us of a specific paralyzed man. I'm glad it doesn't say sick man because it messed up my alliteration. There was a specific paralyzed man and he was brought by friends and there's, there's, no, there's no hint that he had any faith himself, but I tell you, he was bought and his friends were believing for a miracle for him. And I'm hoping that it will get around Colchester. Not that Redeemer welcomes you with good coffee, but you can expect to meet Jesus in the house 
That's far more important. And I believe some will come because they've heard. But others will need to bring, not on their sleeping mats, but in our cars. Fourthly, because these friends were confident that Jesus the healer was in the house, the scripture tells us in the New King James that they pressed through every obstacle to help their friend connect with Jesus. Notice verse 4 in the New King James speaks of when they had broken through. It was when they'd broken through that supernatural things began to happen in the house. First vi- verse 5 tells us how Jesus saw and responded to their faith, the faith of the friends. He saw their faith expressed in action because as James teaches us, faith without actions dead, it's lifeless. But these friends were expected. If only they could get their paralyzed friend to connect with Jesus, if only they could get him to draw near to Jesus, then he would be healed. But there was a big obstacle. The house was full. And so they carried their friend up the external staircase onto the flat roof. Some of you may have seen that design of houses if you've been on Mediterranean holidays. They took him up. Can you imagine the poor guy and his mat as they, they sort of struggled up the steps with him? And they got up onto the roof and it doesn't take much imagination that they must have got down on their knees and began to tear at the obstacle between them and Jesus. Have you, got, have you got the picture of that? Hmm? Oh, they tore away at the roof until they had, in the words of verse 4, broken through. And as believers, we need to be those who will press through in prayer and worship to break through more fully into the Lord's presence. At the baptism of Jesus, Luke records... And says significantly, it was when, whilst Jesus was praying that heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended. In the Greek original text of that verse, it reads literally that heaven was torn open. It's the same Greek word used by Matthew to describe the curtain in the temple being rent in two. Jesus' prayer literally, and it was the man Jesus, to get my point, his prayer wasn't somehow more powerful than your prayer. Amen. Jesus' prayer literally tore open heaven and the Holy Spirit descended, manifesting his presence on that occasion as like a dove. When at Peter's house they had broken through, then in faith they, as it were, pushed their friend into the presence of, well they, you know what I mean they lowered him into the presence of Jesus sometimes I've been in meetings where, where, where God is at work he's manifested his presence and you've taken a friend along and it's like you just have to give them a gentle push you go forward and receive prayer that's, that's kind of what they were doing let's be people friends who get down on our knees and through prayer tear open heaven to help friends, visitors, and also to help one another receive from the Lord in this house. Fifthly, because Jesus is the saviour as well as the healer, 
when they'd got their paralyzed friends into the presence of Jesus, everyone in the house experienced this man received the forgiveness of his sins. Jesus pronounced his sins were forgiven. And I want to encourage you and say, when the presence of the Spirit of Jesus manifests his presence increasingly in this house, we can expect to witness more and more salvations. People receiving forgiveness of their sins. Hallelujah. Yeah. Sixthly, in addition, you think, is there more? Whoa, there's more and more and more when he's in the house. In addition to the miracle of the forgiveness of sins, the presence of Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit, also meant, meant that the prophetic gifts were activated. I want to prophesy and release the prophetic gifts to be activated. We see from verses 6 to 9 that Jesus had words of knowledge and wisdom. Paul says in his letter, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, he says he wants all believers, all. Have you given your life to Jesus? Because it includes you, all believers, to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts we all may prophesy. And I want to urge you friends as well, don't neglect using your personal prayer language of tongues. For 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5 can accurately be translated from the original Greek that Paul actually says he wishes that everyone would speak in tongues in order that they may prophesy. <laughs> and many of us find that the use of our personal prayer language of tongues, it's like a door opener to operate in the, spirit, in the supernatural realm. When the Spirit of Jesus manifests his presence in the house, then we can expect the prophetic gifts to be activated just as they were in Peter's house. Amen? <sighs> Lord, show your power. Show your presence. You see, we, we don't want to come Sunday after Sunday, although it's nice, think, well, I think God was in the house. I mean, we, we know he was because theologically he's everywhere present, but he wants us to enjoy and feel his presence. But when we don't, he still wants us to know he's with us. We're, we, we're holding those two railway tracks, as it were, in healthy tension. Seven, and I've got eight points. The presence of Jesus in the house also resulted on that day, and I suggest it results on other days, and any day when this happens, when he truly manifested, in a release of God's power, verses 10 to 12. Verse 12 says, immediately the paralyzed man got up and walked. I don't know about you, I want to see more of the kind of immediate, instant, undisputable miracles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I know sometimes people say, well, Jesus prayed more than once and all that with certain situations. I know he did and I don't take away how he wants to do it, but God, give us more instant, undisputable miracles to your glory. And finally, this miracle resulted in the house being filled with praise. Praise of God. The people said, we've never seen anything like this. I mean, they, if they'd have known the song, they could have said, I stand amazed in the presence of this Jesus from Nazareth. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. 
And I sense probably some of you think, yeah, but this was just, just one occasion. You, you're making too much of this one occasion. I tell you, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, again and again, whenever the Lord has manifested his presence in significant ways, the results have been similar. Take the day of Pentecost, for example, as a primary example. As Acts chapter 2 tells us, God the Holy Spirit manifested his presence in several tangible ways which were evident to people's physical senses. He manifested as like a rushing mighty wind from heaven which filled the whole house where the disciples were gathering. And often, still today, the Holy Spirit shows his presence in, when he shows his presence in, in, in his house, in our midst, still today, people are blown over. They're blown over by the invisible wind, as it were, of God's presence. It's God showing, you know, oh, I don't understand it. Sometimes I think it's a bit like the divine anaesthetist at work. He puts people out and you best just leave them there and let God do what he wants to do. And he brings healing sometimes, just supernaturally, from the touch of God. In February 1999, God visited a small Anglican church on Baffin Island in the frozen north of Canada. Reports say how, and I'm quoting directly, they were pressing into God in worship and praying for revival when suddenly there was, does that sound a bit like Acts 2? It does to me. When suddenly there was a noise like a mighty wind blowing inside the building which grew in volume and drowned out all other sounds and people started falling down overcome by the presence of God and the result was that revival broke out amongst the Inuit people in that remote part of our world. Don't look it up now but you'll find there's a recording of it. Whew, the wind of God's Spirit blew into the house. On the day of Pentecost, God's presence also manifested as what seemed to be like fire, remember? Rested on the believers, similar to when God manifested, appeared to Moses in the midst of a burning bush which was not consumed. You look in the history books, you can look even in the secular newspapers, and in 1906 in Los Angeles, in just the same way, the Lord manifested his presence during the famous Azusa Street visitation as like fire. It was seen on the roof of the venue where the Christians were meeting and well-meaning local people called the fire brigade. And when the fire brigade arrived, they found, not surprisingly, but strangely to them, that the fire was not actually burning and damaging the building. It was God saying, hey, I'm here, I'm in the house. Oh. And also on the day of Pentecost and on similar subsequent occasions, the believers were supernaturally enabled to speak in tongues, the tongues of men of and of angels, languages that they'd not learned. It was evidence that the, incredibly the Holy Spirit had made their physical body his temple, his dwelling place. And further evidence of God's presence on the day of Pentecost, and Hugh referred to this on Pentecost Sunday when we were outside, was, and it still happens today, as if believers were drunk on wine. I've never been drunk with alcohol, but I've been drunk in the spirit, I tell you. And when I get drunk in the spirit, I get merry. And hearty singing, such as during the 1904 Welsh Revival, and rejoicing and unexplainable exuberant laughter have often been the signs when God manifests his presence in the house. Why? Because as the psalmist says, in his presence is fullness of joy. 
As on the day of Pentecost, let's be honest, sometimes, however, the way God manifests his presence, let's say it can be puzzling and even perplexing, as Acts 2.12 records. But as R.T. Kendall, the former pastor of Westminster Chapel for 25 years, records in one of his many books, More of God, if we want more of God, then Kendall says, we must appreciate the way he chooses to show up, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us feel. Friends, remember last Sunday's message? How can we forget it? He loves, loves, loves us. But his ways are higher than ours and can be puzzling and at times even perplexing. Now, whilst how God manifests his presence is important, today I just want to lay that aside and I want to, to emphasize and just draw out for you your attention to the fact that the results on the day of Pentecost visitation were just the same as those on the day when Jesus was in the house at Capernaum. People came to hear and see, Acts 2 tells us. There was powerful preaching by Peter. Forgiveness of sins was proclaimed and received by 3,000 at least. God's power was released in healing, such as the healing of the man that was crippled from birth at the gate, beautiful. We're told that after that healing, the temple was filled with praise. The prophetic gifts and other supernatural gifts were activated, not just in the church, but also in the streets, in the community. And the believers continue to press through because it tells us they were constant in prayer. <laughs> and again, and again, and again, when God manifested his presence throughout history, the results were similar. Take, for example, at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. Uh, it happened then in a similar way. Many believed and were baptised, uh, not just in water, but also in the Holy Spirit. In fact, on that occasion, and some of you might be hoping for that this morning, but on that occasion, the Holy Spirit fell before Peter could finish his sermon. And they were all speaking in tongues and praising God, we're told. And the pattern has been similar throughout church history, including, and I say this to encourage you, in some measure, when the Lord manifested his presence in significant ways in Colchester in 1994 and 95, when hundreds of lives across many churches were supernaturally impacted by the presence and power of God. They were being, we were seeing meetings with people queuing up to get in for the doors to open, to be touched by the manifest presence of God. Do it again, Lord, because that was a lot of years ago. We need your presence. And so, as his manifest presence, as I'm arguing based on scripture, makes such a difference, what can we do? Because some people say, well, God is sovereign and he'll do what he will do. Well, there's a yes and no answer to that because he says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, etc. Yeah, he does respond to the hearts of his people. So what can we do to attract the Holy Spirit's presence to this house on a regular basis? Now, let me be very clear. I'm not giving you some kind of trite formula. It's not a guaranteed formula because God is God. It's not a case of we do the right things, God will do this. No, no, no. He's not like a puppet. But I am persuaded from the scriptures and from church history, there are at least four things which the Lord finds particularly attractive and welcoming. And the first one is he loves a clean house. I'm not talking about the building where we meet. I'm talking about the spiritual house of living stones. We're to be God's 
holy people. Holy living attracts his presence. And the deaths of Ananus and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 is an awesome reminder that when the Lord manifests his presence as a consuming fire, the result isn't always rejoicing and miracles. I'll tell you, it can be one of awe that God is in the house. Secondly, God loves harmony. I don't mean harmony in singing. I, mean, I was brought up on harmony. I'm talking about uh, harmony, unity among the members of a spiritual household is something which attracts his presence and his blessing. You see, like all good parents, our Heavenly Father enjoys being with his kids when, they, when we get on well together. That's when parents most like to be with their children. Isn't that right? It's the same with God. See, we mirror a little bit of God, don't we? In how we are as parents, etc. Acts chapter 2 tells us that when God's Spirit was poured out in power, they were all together. Not just present in one place, because Acts 4 speaks of how they were one in heart. And Psalm 133, that will be familiar to many of you, tells us that actually unity actually commands the blessing of God. God, unity amongst God's presence, the scripture says, is like the anointing oil on air in the high priest. It's like dew, the dew of refreshing and fruitfulness on Mount Hermon. Thirdly, the Lord loves a house of prayer. The Lord responds to serious prayer. The kind of prayer spoken of when the psalmist says in Psalm 84 too, where he says, my heart, my very flesh cry out for the living God. Blind Bartimaeus was that kind of prayer, wasn't he? He cried out loudly. Hannah similarly was that kind of prayer, but she did it silently. So it's not about the noise we make, it's about the fervency. Because James 5, 16 tells us it's the fervent prayer of the righteous which are effective. And finally, God just loves to respond. In fact, he just loves to come and presence himself in a house of worship. He presences himself in a special way in the midst of true heartfelt worship. Psalm 22 verse 3 says that God is enthroned in the praises of his people. Just, just think about it. I mean... <laughs> He's enthroned in heaven, and yet the Spirit of Jesus come and, as it were, is enthroned as king in the midst of our praises. The Spirit-filled study Bible I've got in my hand here explains that although God is everywhere present, he's omnipresent, there's a direct, distinct manifestation of his rule which enters the environment of praise. The Hebrew word in Psalm 22, 3, translated as enthroned or dwells in the praise of his people, literally means, listen to this, that he comes and sits down whew, in the presence of his people. Dare I say, and I mean it very respectfully, he, he comes and makes himself at home. And there's more, because the Hebrew word also means to remain or even to marry. Friends, there's a special bond that I don't fully understand, but it's there, a special relationship as there is in marriage between true worship and God showing up, God's manifest presence. So friends, I just want to encourage you, urge you, if like me, you want to experience more of the presence of the Lord in our midst, then let's be those who seek to live holy lives, and thereby keep the house clean. 
who seek to live in harmony, being patient with one another, forgiving misunderstandings. Let's be those who give him no rest and are constantly asking in prayer for more of his presence. And let's be people who truly express heartfelt, passionate worship, even if at the present time it can only be through our bodily posture, which includes kneeling. And remember the Hebrew word kneeling, sorry, the Hebrew word worship literally means to make yourself lower the one whom we worship. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. Keep coming again and again. Make your home in our midst because it's your glory, God, that our hearts long for to be overwhelmed by your presence, Lord. Help us. Make this prayer your prayer. Help me, help us to become more aware of your presence. Help us to wake up like Jacob did, as it were, to your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Fantastic.